This episode was made possible by True Start Coffee. Find out more and check out their range of refreshing, ethical cold brew coffee drinks at truestartcoffee.com. Food. For some, there is no sincerer love, and for others, it's the cause of a daily struggle of life and death. But what divides us in our experiences unites in other ways that affects us all. In countries like the UK or the US, attitudes to food consumption and food production are out of step with the impact they're having on the environment. How can we make sure that we're able to feed an ever-growing population in a world with a changing climate, shifting seasons and huge inequality? From TEDx Bristol, this is Reflect, Rethink, Reboot, a podcast about not just surviving, but thriving in uncertain times. Uh, Jack's just dressed some, some salad leaves there, which come from a couple of little city farms. We get them from Nibbly Leaves and also from Edible Futures. And they're both small urban growing projects. That's Ben Pryor, one of the founders of Bristol's Poco Tapas. And for restaurants like theirs, food ethics and food sustainability is part of the fabric of who they are. Just dressing some haraco beans, which are from Hodmadod. They're an amazing company. We, we support them wherever we can. They realise a lot of these beans were just being ploughed back into the soil, but um, they're perfectly edible and delicious. We've now got a bit of a rhubarb and courgette ganoush. There's a, a local allotment here that brings rhubarb down from his allotment. We can't actually buy it off him, but we trade it for in-house credit, so he builds it up and then comes in for a big night on the cocktails and the tapas. If you've eaten there, you'll know how important local and seasonal food is, but they're also devoted to cutting waste and being energy efficient too. It's all part of their mission to help create a more sustainable, more positive future for our relationship with food. I'm Natalie Fee and as well as being a former TEDx Bristol speaker, I'm also an environmental campaigner and founder of City to Sea. And recent studies have shown that microplastic particles are even in the air we breathe and the food we eat. So although my talk in 2017 was about ending plastic pollution, which is also the mission of my organisation City to Sea, the problems that we face as a planet around food and sustainability are also very close to my heart and fresh in my mind. I've recently written a book called How to Save the World for Free, which is out in October 2019. So I was really keen to learn a little bit more about how we can address these issues. In this episode, we're going to be finding out more about the current state of our food supply by chatting to Patrick Holden of the Bristol-based Sustainable Food Trust. The more we industrialise our food systems, the more emissions we get, and then the faster climate change goes against us. But this is one of those very exciting situations where citizen action at scale can be the solution. We'll visit an old industrial unit in Bristol to meet the tech startup developing technology that could revolutionise how we feed the planet. If I lift this up here, you'll see the roots hanging within the air. You'll also see the mist that the roots receive their nutrients and their water through. And I'll be chatting to food sustainability guru Steph Weatherall about what we can do on a grassroots level to help create a more positive future for us all. I mean, for me, like asparagus is amazing during asparagus season because it's this really short window. Mm. And that's when I want to eat asparagus. I don't want to eat asparagus in the middle of December. Like I want to really, really enjoy asparagus for the six weeks or so that we get it for. 
The United Nations projected that the global population will increase by nearly 2.5 billion by 2050, and there are estimates that as a planet we'll need to be producing up to 70% more food to feed all those extra mouths. However, the way we produce food and our attitudes to consuming it are at odds with simply being able to ramp up productivity. Land is becoming ever more scarce as the population booms and soil degradation is accelerated as a result. In fact, it's estimated there'll be around 25% less land to use for farming by 2050. As we well know, our climate and weather patterns that our countries have come to rely on are changing, which only makes farming more difficult and food waste more likely as crops fail. Unless, of course, we're prepared to spray more chemicals to keep them alive, and I'm not sure I'd be happy with that kind of salad dressing. Take a look at climate change alone. Heat waves, just like the one we experienced in the summer of 2018 here in the UK, without human interference, may have only occurred once every 245 years. Now they're one in every eight. And by 2040, they could be happening every other year. And whilst that might feel nice to us sun-starved Brits, actually the reality is far more sinister. Then there's our insatiable desire for cheap and plentiful food from around the globe, whatever the time of year. And as other nations get more prosperous, their desire for more resource-intensive meat and dairy is increasing too. We're only just scratching the surface here, but it's safe to say we've got our work cut out. And we haven't even touched on the impact of deforestation, how we're going to lower emissions, fish stocks, food waste, pollution of our land and water. Yes, I could go on. Somebody who's an authority on these matters is Patrick Holden, founder and CEO of the Sustainable Food Trust, who worked to accelerate the transition to more sustainable food and farming systems that truly nourish the health of both people and planet. I think a very simple way of putting the situation is that we are living beyond the capacity of the Earth's resources to sustain us. The fact that we've only got 10 to 15 years to reduce our emissions to get inside the threshold above which there may be irreversible climate change. And of course, what many people don't know is that food and farming systems are not only a huge part of the problem, But, and this is the good news, if we changed our food and farming, we could take up to 100 parts per million of CO2 out of the atmosphere and put it back in the soil. But only if our food systems change, and that means we have to change. So how do we get to that point of increased food production, but with minimal land use? So it may be that we simply have to get a better and more equitable distribution system of our food. And also 50% of all the food we produce is wasted. So if we could far more efficiently, in harmony with nature, avoid the depletion of our natural capital, our biodiversity and our soil, and waste less food, both on the farm and in distribution, and even when it gets to our fridges, we might be able to solve the problem without having to produce a lot more food using even more chemical fertilisers and pesticides, which are the chemical inputs which have really done the damage. Who should be leading the way then to set us on a more positive course? If you think of the food system as one enormous organism, we are the cells. And as we all know, a healthy organism needs healthy cells. So if we have a cellular revolution where each of us decides and makes a pledge to ourselves to buy a greater proportion of sustainably produced food every day when I go shopping, maybe we start with organically produced vegetables, the the things that we most value in our daily diet and say, well, I will at least try to buy some of them from a, a sustainable source 
in season where appropriate, and ideally from a local producer. And if you just start taking small incremental steps where you do that, the world will change because our buying power as individual consumers and citizens is the big force which will change the food system. So if we change, they change. A lot of the problems we face aren't helped by the fact that we've got into this idea that our food should be cheap. So how damaging is that? The supermarkets are locked into this race to the bottom. They're all trying to price each other downwards. And of course, that makes it much more difficult to source food in a sustainable way. So what we are doing at the Sustainable Food Trust is we are highlighting the way in which the apparent cheapness of food is really a lie. The food pricing is dishonest because when you buy a cheap chicken for £2.50, cost of producing that chicken doesn't take into account the greenhouse gas emissions, the water pollution, the air pollution, the use of antibiotics to suppress the diseases which they would otherwise get. And all those hidden costs should appear on the price of the chicken, but they don't. So the £2.50 price label is a lie. It probably should be three or even four times that cost. So what we are doing is we're going to governments and we're saying, look, make the polluter pay. It's not fair because you can't expect people of this country to spend three or four times as much on their food. You've got to reward the producers who are using sustainable production methods and get the sustainably produced food at a price point which is affordable for most people. Being able to grow crops more efficiently and in a changing climate, as well as reducing the miles that produce has to travel, are two big hurdles we need to overcome. Within an old railway arch in one of Bristol's old industrial areas is a start-up who are pioneering new technology that it hopes will provide some of the solutions. We design uh, technology for indoor growing aeroponics so we use about 95% less water than traditional farming methods. We can remove the need for pesticides and we can influence the the taste profiles of crops as well. Let Us Grow are a technology company who are developing the farms of the future. They've designed new aeroponic systems that can increase crop yields for leafy greens, salads and herb production. Whereas hydroponic systems grow produce in water, with aeroponics, yes, you've guessed it, instead of using soil, plant roots are suspended in a nutrient-dense mist. We got taken on a tour of their space-age lab by co-founder Charlie Guy. So yeah, we're here outside our main research facility in Bristol. Um, We're down a dead end in St Philip's, surrounded by old warehouses and garages in railway arches. It's not the typical place you'd expect to find a farm, covered in graffiti and, yeah, a bit of a surprise when you walk in. So, yeah, let's uh, go in and have a look around. So, yeah, we operate uh, food safety uh, and scientific controls in here, so we have to put on lab coats and make sure we wash our hands thoroughly to avoid bringing any contaminants into the growing environment. Cool. So now we're all kitted up and this is our preparation space where we do uh, quite a lot of our experiments and sort of seed treatments and prepare plants for to go into the growing chamber. To see the impacts of, of the extreme weather that climate change is causing on our food supply. Last year, we had the beast from the east and the extreme cold, which left crops freezing in our fields and resulted in shortages within our supermarkets in the UK. And then we had the extreme 
temperature, the second or joint hottest summer on record. And again, that left crops wilting in the fields, certain crops stopped growing above, uh, above certain temperatures. And again, this led to food shortages, increases in prices of crops, and we were actually importing around 30,000 heads of lettuce per week from the US and flying that in to keep products on our shelves last summer. So we're about to step into um, our, our first growth chamber here. Within this uh, effectively cold room box, we are fully insulating from the outside environment. Then we have air conditioning and air handling units to, to maintain the temperature in there. But what we're aiming to do here is make sure that everything is at a, a constant temperature and humidity that we can control. So you'll feel immediately that it's a bit more humid in here than a sort of natural environment that we're used to as humans. Um, you'll hear the pumps going off because everything here is running 24 seven, 365 days a year, uh, like clockwork. Got about 10 different crops in here, all growing under different LED lighting. And we're controlling the temperature and humidity very precisely, along with all the other factors for, for crop growth. We've got kale, we've got basil, we've got rocket, um, coriander, I think parsley might be growing at the moment, and things like head lettuce, we've got strawberries over there, and we've got some trials that we're doing with carrots as well. If I lift this up here, you'll see the roots hanging within the air, and you'll also see um, the mist that the roots receive their nutrients and their water through. The real benefit of this is that the crops are getting a greater access to oxygen and carbon dioxide in that root zone. It's effectively creating the, the perfect soil conditions for the plant um, where they got bountiful access to all of, all of the things they need. This really combined leads to them growing significantly faster than hydroponic technologies. It may sound like the stuff of sci-fi, but this sort of technology makes the intensive farming of salad, fruit or vegetables a much more efficient process, reducing the need for fertilisers and the vast amounts of water needed to grow them. Imagine being able to grow fresh produce in countries where areas are regularly devastated by failing crops, or reducing the transport miles of your lettuce leaves to a few feet because they're grown within the supermarket. And there's another added benefit to this technology too. So we've got strawberries growing here that have been growing for the last nine or so months. What we're able to do in these conditions is bring strawberries through multiple fruiting cycles. So uh, trigger them to produce fruit and stop producing fruit based on the temperature, the nutrients, the irrigation cycles, the lighting that you give them. This enables 365 days a year production of crops like strawberries. And because we have this tight control over all of the inputs, it becomes a reality that you can have UK-grown strawberries in, in December. One of the really exciting things we can do here is we can experiment with flavours at the crop level. So it's one of the really exciting growth areas for us is working with flavour scientists going forwards to, to really influence the flavours within, within plants. Developing new food production systems is, is imperative for our planet and for being able to sustain the growth that, that we're seeing. Providing climate resilient systems is becoming ever more necessary. For me, I just want to be able to know that I'm contributing to a better future for future generations, a planet that 
we'll still be able to get all of the fresh and delicious greens that everyone's used to eating. And that's what we're working towards, a more sustainable future for, for future generations. This episode is supported by True Start Coffee, a proud partner of Telex Bristol 2019. True Start are an ethical coffee company who make a range of completely natural, flavoured cold brew coffees. When Helena and Simon set out to create a coffee brand that's worlds apart from the big dinosaurs who dominate the industry, they put ethics and sustainability at the very core of everything they do. They're one of the UK's fastest growing young drinks businesses, but they don't judge success simply by their bottom line. For them, it's also about their impact on people and the planet. In a world where demand for coffee is at an all-time high and prices are at a record low, growers are under big pressure, often having to turn to other crops to try and survive. True Start understand the people who grow their coffee. It's all Rainforest Alliance certified and actually sourced where co-founder Helena used to live in South America. But as she explains, it's consumers who have the power when it comes to shaping a more sustainable future. The best thing that we can do is know what we're buying and where we're buying it from and know that everybody's been looked after from here in the UK to the farmers in whatever country that coffee's come from and actually say, you know what, even if I have to drink less coffee, I'm going to really enjoy that cup because I know it's been sustainably produced. Find out more about the other great things that True Start are doing and try their delicious cold brew coffee at truestartcoffee.com. Whilst developing new technology to create large-scale solutions is clearly important, the future of sustainable food also rests on us as individuals, as well as small-scale, local and highly diverse producers who can replace the large-scale operations which are destructive to the environment. Steph Weatherall runs Bristol Food Producers. It's effectively a hub for diverse small growers that enables them to get to market at scale. So a lot of what I do is really trying to help restaurants and retailers kind of look at where their food's coming from and help individuals to know how they can buy from local producers. I think for a lot of people, it's a little bit of a minefield. Maybe they want to buy a veg box, but there seem like so many options and they don't know what to do. Trying to connect people with where their food comes from, because I think that's something that we've lost. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we connect people with the, the producers and the farmers behind the food. We also need behaviour change from consumers. We expect choice at all times and we've lost touch with the seasonality and regional variations that were normal just decades ago. I put the blame firmly at the doors of supermarkets. I think they've taught us that it should be quick, it should be easy, we should be able to get whatever we want whenever we want it. Um, I think a lot of it is around education. It's, it's trying to explain to people why sometimes you can't get something that you want or why you have to get dirty vegetables rather than clean vegetables and the impact that, that has on a farmer. Again, I think it comes down to that thing that if people have that connection with where the food is coming from, for me, that was completely transformative. You know, I, um, what I would pay for a, a bunch of carrots before I farmed myself was way less than what I'd pay after I farmed myself. <laughs> you knew the true cost. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I spent so many hours, like, planting carrots thinning carrots, weeding carrots, bunching carrots, washing carrots, driving to the market to sell the carrots. And suddenly that they seem like an absolute bargain from yeah. the market stand. Um, I know it's a bit of a change for some people, but embracing seasonality and embracing what your kind of local region is known for or whatever. I mean, for me, like asparagus is amazing during asparagus season because it's this really short window. Mm. And that's when I want to eat asparagus. Like I don't want to eat asparagus in the middle of December. I want to really, really enjoy asparagus for the six weeks or so that we get it for. But we've become so accustomed to convenience and getting what we want on demand. Yeah. Is it hard for people to eat and buy local? I mean, in Bristol, I think we're incredibly lucky. 
It's it's really easy in Bristol to get a veg box, for example. If you're going to do one thing, that's a really amazing thing you can do. There's some amazing local veg box schemes. There's the Community Farm, there's Sims Hill, there's Lee Court Farm, all of which are amazing local farms. And, you know, two of them will deliver to your house and the third one you can collect up from a local collection point. I mean, that's a really easy and simple thing that you can do that doesn't take any effort it just turns up at your door I think for me like when I first started getting my veg from Sims Hill the feeling of actually walking to pick up my weekly veg and taking my share of it and having a little letter from the farmer and a little sort of shout out for volunteers it just was an amazing feeling isn't it knowing that your veg is is grown locally by people that you might be walking past yeah totally And what about our meat consumption? The World Resources Institute predicts that the consumption of meat like beef, lamb and goat is projected to rise 88% between 2010 and 2050. The thing is about that sort of meat compared to beans, peas and lentils is that it takes a lot of resource to produce. So that's 20 times more land emitting 20 times more greenhouse gases per gram of edible protein. So surely the answer is to become vegan. Well, not necessarily, as Patrick Holden from the Sustainable Food Trust pointed out to us. As a farmer, I know that I can only produce a certain proportion uh, as vegetables or grains. On my farm, 70% of the land area is grass, and actually 70% of the whole of the United Kingdom farmed area is grassland. The only animals that can turn grassland into food that we can eat are so-called ruminant animals, i.e. cows and sheep. And actually, they are also the soil builders. So in fact, a sustainable diet would be to cut out cheap industrially produced chicken and pork altogether. So no more cheap chicken, no more cheap pork, but actually do include a proportion of grass-fed or mainly grass-fed red meat, i.e. lamb and beef, if you're not ethically opposed to that, which of course is completely respected. But what we want to cut out is the palm oil, the genetically modified soy oil, the oilseed rape, which is produced using a lot of insecticides. And often these plant oils, which have now replaced the animal fats, which used to form the majority of our fat intake, are produced in very intensive ways. There are so many layers to this story, as there's so many factors at play. But if we really want to create a more sustainable, more ethical and healthier future for the way that we produce and consume food, then we all have a role to play. So what does the future of food look like and how do we get there? In my ideal world, a breakdown of intensification of food production. Jennifer Best, one of the founders of Poco Tapas. Lots of much smaller producers, growers, farmers with their own true aim of protecting biodiversity and growing lots of different seed varieties and generally people maybe learning to grow their own food and through that process maybe there's lower consumption of meat as well. There's a lot of change we can all make in our day-to-day lives and our, our dietary choices but to see the big industrial players making real changes, it needs to become ineconomical to grow food in an environmentally damaging fashion. I think that's where we need to go. Citizen action at scale can be the solution. Patrick Holden. I imagine a future food system where the right of every citizen on the planet to be nourished and be healthy from the food that they eat, which is produced in harmony with nature, from producers whose story they know and who live near to them, 
becoming a reality. To quote Bob Dylan, you know, your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. The old road is rapidly aging. Because the truth is that the millennials, the young generation, don't trust these big brands anymore. And they know it, actually. So they're scratching their heads and thinking, well, what can we do? to offer food which has more integrity, which has more provenance, which whose story is known and it has more sustainability. That can happen and I believe it will happen because those that don't adapt will probably not survive. And what about future farms? Here's Charlie Guy again. The farms of the future I see as very diversified production centres, but also bringing the technologies to grow food into the cities as well. You may be able to go to certain retail spaces and find produce growing there fresh. These farms will be full of technology to make growing more efficient, the production methods more efficient, and a large amount of data being uh, crunched in these farms as well. Reducing our waste on a large and small scale has got to be part of our strategy. In many countries, we've become a society that's lost touch with the value of food. Like many things, it's almost become a disposable commodity with food waste all along the food chain from field to fork. The World Resources Institute reckons that if we can reduce food loss and waste by 25% by 2050, we'd be able to close the food gap by 12%, as well as putting less pressure on the land. So having a responsible and thoughtful attitude to the food we buy and eat is surely a good place to start. So there have been some super inspiring interviews and ideas here, and I'm certainly feeling hopeful for our future. But, you know, when we hear that we've only got 60 harvests left, it can feel quite overwhelming. But hopefully through listening to the stories and projects happening around us today, that we can all take some inspiration from that and make sure we all do our bit. If you haven't yet got your food from a local community project, a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Schemes like Sims Hill and Community Farm, there really is nothing like either just walking to a local shed and picking up your weekly share of the harvest. Huge thanks to everyone who contributed to this podcast. Our thanks to Patrick Holden, Let Us Grow, Steph Weatherall and Poco Tapas. If you'd like to find out more about any of the organisations we mentioned, just check out all of the episode notes. There are also so many great organisations in our community that we haven't mentioned in this podcast who are doing equally fantastic things to create a more positive future. Check out Edible Bristol, Edible Futures, the Bristol Food Network and of course the Soil Association. And finally, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast. It's free, just tap subscribe in your podcast app and if you enjoyed it, leave us a rating and review. There'll be more episodes coming soon, right up until the next big TEDx event on the 17th of November at Bristol Old Vic. You can find out more and apply for tickets at TEDxBristol.com. See you next time. Hold up. 